for whatever reason, or perhaps for no reason at all, I do not have very many childhood memories. The ones I do have are linked very closely to photographs. Some of you may have also had this this experience. And that calls into question for me whether they're actually memories or just robust recollections of those stills in those photo albums that I poured over and over and over. I know those photographs inside and out, backwards and forwards. Further calling into question the nature of these supposed memories is the fact that most of my childhood memories are atmospheric. I remember the feel of a place. I remember a vague or even a clear notion of having been somewhere, but there's little movement in these memories, little action or dialogue or unfolding in time and space. These memories feel photographic. Now, they're perhaps photographic in a Harry Potter sense. They're not exactly flat, two-dimensional, unmoving. They shimmer just a little bit, shimmy just a little bit. But they're photographic nonetheless, or atmospheric. That's why I call them atmospheric. It's like the feeling of being in a place. Now, I do have at least one atmospheric memory that is not, to my knowledge or recollection, tied to any actual photograph. And this week, I have tried to think of others like that, and I've tried unsuccessfully to think of others that are unlinked to a photograph. So not to be too dramatic, but it may be my only genuine childhood memory. I remember being under the quilt at my grandma Raymer's house. She often had a quilt set up in a frame in the basement. And when she worked on it, I would hang out underneath it. It was a good place. Enchanting in the way that forts are to kids. It felt private, like a space set apart just for me. But also safe. Grandma was right there. And it was intimate and comforting, cozy in the shadowed shelter that it provided. And because my absolute favorite thing in all the world to do then, as probably now, was to read, it provided an almost adventurous place for me to hang out with my beloved books. And lying on my back and looking up, I recall how mesmerizing it was to watch my grandmother's wrinkled hands, her crooked and thimbled fingers, rhythmically rocking the needle on top and deftly stabilizing and guiding below. For those who are... Oh, I wanted to say, taking something, this is what Grandma did, taking something as simple as thread and forever binding three disparate pieces together into a stunning and finished whole. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with how quilts are put together, 
there are three pieces to a quilt. I mean, there's many pieces, but when you get to this point of actually making it a quilt, there are three pieces. There's the top, which is often pieced of lots of pieces, right? But it's a beautiful top. And then there's the batting. That's what gives the blanket its heft. And then there's the back, which is often, but not always, a solid piece of fabric. Sometimes there's a little bit of piecing on the back as well. But you've got the top, beautiful, intricate batting, and then the back <clears throat> with variations. But these are the three pieces. And the most gorgeous, intricately pieced top is not of much use until it's sandwiched with its other two companions and bound together forever by that thread. And that thread, it may be knots. Sometimes you'll see comforters that are knotted. It might be machine stitches, so you move the three pieces in a machine and it quilts them together. Or it could be, in the case of my grandmother, my grandma Raymer, these teeny tiny hand stitches, exquisitely consistent in size. Quilting is what makes a quilt a quilt. And when a quilter moves across the vast expanse with needle and thread, it's almost like alchemy. The fact that this may be my only real childhood memory is a testament to the magic and the artistry of that process that I sensed, that I knew, that I experienced while under Grandma's quilt. It was a good, very good place. It was evening when Jesus somehow got through those locked doors, stood among the disciples and said, Peace be with you. And then again, as though they needed to hear it a second time in order to truly hear it, peace be with you. Earlier that morning, Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus in the garden, had talked with him, encountered him, and been sent by him back to the other disciples to whom she proclaimed, I have seen the Lord. But those other disciples gathered in that room were nonetheless afraid. Or perhaps they were therefore afraid. They were anxious about what the authorities might do to them. Friends and followers of an executed convict. Especially, they were especially afraid about what those authorities might do if subversive stories like Mary's about having encountered the crucified Lord, risen to new life, especially if subversive stories like these were to spread. So they locked the doors in fear. And Jesus strode right through the locked doors of their fear and said, Peace, and again, peace. It was then that he breathed on them. Do you imagine that was happening? That he breathed on them, that he breathed into them, that he breathed the Holy Spirit. 
It's the same word as the Greek version of Genesis 2. When God breathes into the earthling creating human life, here in John, Jesus breathes into the collection of earthlings recreating human life in the creation of human community. Like the disparate pieces of a would-be quilt, the fearful disciples were collected in a place. They were assembled in a place, but they weren't yet gathered. They weren't yet gathered. Not until Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into them, and like a trail of exquisite hand stitches, through the collection of fear-stricken friends, forever bound them together in a stunning, finished whole, a community, a church. This, too, was a little like alchemy. The fact that this story has passed down through so very many generations into our hands and into our hearts is a testament testament to the magic and the artistry of Jesus breathing the spirit into the lot of them, recreating human life in the creation of human community. This was a story to remember. Forever bound by the inspired presence of Christ's spirit within them, they are then sent Just as Mary Magdalene had been sent by Jesus from the garden earlier that morning, this collection, this gathering, this community, this body is then sent, told by Jesus to go. And then, of course, to gather again. And then go. And then gather again. And then go gather. Here at Seattle Mennonite Church, we seek to be and live as a covenanted people, gathered and then sent and gathered again. We seek to be a covenanted people, not simply a collection of disparate, fearful pieces, but rather a gathered, singular, beautiful, bound together, inspired by the Spirit of Christ, whole. And the covenant that we claim as a church and that we speak together, a covenant that was penned so beautifully by our own pastor, Amy, you are going to need to get closer to the altar at some point this morning in order to see our covenant In calligraphy and watercolor, a covenant that we will now have these words, thank you, Amy, we will now have these words living among us so that we can be reminded of them on any Sunday, not just our annual Pentecost covenanting Sunday, but be reminded of this covenant that we make to one another each year. We haven't decided on exactly where it will be, but it will be somewhere in the space. This covenant is the claiming of Christ's creative, moving, breathing spirit among us and within us. And it is a naming of that exquisite trail of stitches by which we are not just collected in a place, but by which we are gathered in a body. 
Now, the poetry of all this, I get to this point in my writing the sermon, and I look back on it and reflect on it, and I think, oh, the poetry of all this is divine, and the imagery is grand, and can't you just feel yourself under Grandma Raymer's quilt with me at this moment? (laughs) And the reality, as always, is far messier. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Because I'm not sure there'd be room for one like me in divine poetry and grand imagery. The reality is a little more like the story we have in Acts 2, which I am not diving into this morning. It's a familiar story, but with the cacophony of languages and people gathered from all parts. And it's, it's a little messier. But yes, yes, we still claim this poetry and this imagery. We claim this for ourselves as we seek to be a covenanted people, a singular body, a stunning whole. And we seek to be a radically hospitable people, a lavishly welcoming people, a people that readily embraces each yes, however wholehearted, or tentative. A people that gratefully receives each maybe, creating space for folks to live into belonging and perhaps a growing yes. And a people that respects and honors each no. And like Motel 6, still and always keeps the light on for you. Because we believe resolutely, as the beautiful hymn sings, that nothing, nothing at all is lost on the breath of God. Nothing, nothing is lost forever. So people of God, people of Christ's spirit breathed among us, people of Seattle Mennonite Church, I invite you as you are ready to join me in speaking aloud our covenant with one another. It is printed in the communicator. And as we prepare for this, let's take in a breath. And let it out. Remembering Melanie and Jonathan on sabbatical, let's take it in and let it out with a sigh. (sighs) Let's take it in and know it to be the Spirit of Christ among us. (sighs) Together, church, as an Anabaptist community of God's people, We at Seattle Mennonite Church receive with joy and humility the mystery of God's grace, truth, and love. In response to God's initiation, we make this covenant with God and with each other to join in worship, praise, and service. We affirm our faith in God, the source of life and love, the creator of the world. We commit ourselves to follow Jesus Christ, who reconciles and reveals God to us through the Holy Spirit. We welcome God's Spirit to transform, empower, and guide us, as together we discern and follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pledge to care for each other, 
including our children, nurturing the gifts of each person, living toward just, nonviolent, and transformative relationships in community. We renounce evil, both personal and corporate, and join God's plan for healing the earth and bringing just peace to its people. We accept God's call to share the good news of transforming love and welcome others to faith in God and belonging into Jesus Christ's beloved community. We encourage and pray for each other as we live out this covenant, which gives us hope for the time when God brings all of creation into wholeness and an end to all suffering. The Spirit has indeed woven us into a community. And as a symbol of your yes within this community, I invite you to come forward and to select a strip of fabric to be woven into the netting on our wall here. I'm just going to pull it out. Because look at this feast of fabrics. Wow. And you are welcome to take your time as you come up. In fact, you can touch several fabrics if you like. Hold them in your hand. Find the one that represents your yes, however wholehearted or tentative this morning. Which one represents your presence among this covenanted and lavishly welcoming people? Which one represents the particular gifts that you bring with you into this community? This community inspired and bound by Christ's loving, moving, breathing spirit. And then weave it in. Or tie it on in some way. Let it dangle, weave it all the way through. And help to create our bright, scrappy, ragtag, beautiful, living, spirit-breathed, Christ-centered, unfinished whole.